heights to the depths of the sea. And then finally, when he passes from the scene, Ben Hadad takes over and is continually in their face and, 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 and a thorn in their, in their shoe, in a sense. And, and this is a good proof text for Romans 6.23. You remember Romans 6.23? For the wages of sin, it's death. Every creature is unique in a song that it sings, all exclaiming, indescribable, uncontainable. You place the stars in the sky and you know them by name. You are amazing, God. All powerful, untamable. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. Because of the ungodliness of Jehoahaz, God delivered Israel into the hands of Ahazel, king of Syria. The northern kingdom of Israel still had its own name and king, but they were a tributary and subservient nation to Syria. So Jehoahaz pleaded with the Lord, and the Lord listened to him. We know that Jehoahaz was an ungodly man, and this prayer didn't make a lasting or real revival in his life. Yet God listened to his prayer because of his great mercy and because of his care for Israel. As followers of Jesus Christ, we must always remember the grace and mercy of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now let's join Pastor Rob's teaching, Already in Progress. And we're, every one of them were evil. And yet, in the southern, there were a handful of kings, nine of them, actually, that started off really well, and then some continued really well. I think there was only five kings that were exemplary, meaning they were reformer kings. So as they continued to slip into idolatry, there were kings like Josiah, who finally, seeing the decrepitness of the kingdom, decided, we're going to change things, and we're going to clean out all of this Asherah and all these wooden images and all of these sun gods and all of this stuff to Baal. We're going to clean it all out and we're going to kill the priests of those of that false worship. And he did. And he was one of the best reformer kings ever in the line of Judah. But never in the northern ten tribes was there a good king. They were all idolatrous evil. So that was the first thing. The second thing was there were nine different dynasties in Israel. In the northern ten tribes. Nine different dynasties. And it was broken. That's why there's nine different dynasties. But in Judah, there was only one dynasty, David, the Davidic dynasty. And what that, all that means is that David had a son, and his son had a son. And, it, and the, the line of kings was very clear. But not so in Israel. And you can already see just the, the decay of what's happening up north. There's just so much, dis, dis, everything was just discombobulated. There was no order. And wherever there's sin, wherever there is sin, and, and sin free to reign, it will always yield trouble. Always. And thirdly, the reigns of the kings of the north were, on average, shorter than the kings of, of, of the line of Judah. On average, shorter. Because people would kill each other to get on the throne. And the northern ten tribes, because of their evil, it just bred more evil. And finally, the fourth thing, Israel was the first kingdom to go into captivity. The first one. And it would be uh, 
what, 116 years later or whatever, that they finally, Judah and Benjamin, would go into captivity. But there were probably other things in that list, but it's just interesting that the Davidic line of Judah started out in faith. It started out in faith, and as they progressed, they certainly did fumble many times. But Israel started off in idolatry, and they never, ever recovered. And it's important uh, for us not only to start off well, but to finish well. And that's uh, one of the hallmarks, or one of the things we can take away from this whole entire First and Second Kings experience is that it's, it's good to start well, but it's, it's really good to finish well. What did Paul tell us in 1 Corinthians chapter 9? Let me just read it to you. 1 Corinthians 9, beginning in verse 24. Paul says, Do you not know that those who run in a race, they all run, but only one receives the prize? So run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, but thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body, I bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. And isn't that what it's all about? We want to begin well, we want to finish well, but to finish well is going to require discipline. Something that the church, we need individually and corporately, we need discipline, we need discernment. We need discipline, because if I find myself not being as disciplined as I ought to be. To put my body under. That means that maybe I don't go for, you know, and and, and it it can start very little with things. You know, we allow one thing to slip, and then it's not so hard for the next thing to slip, and pretty soon you're slipping all over the place. Pretty soon you're like Bambi on ice, you know, the the, the legs are out like that. You've seen the, the cartoon, and you're just spinning around, and your legs are all out like that because you're slipping all over the place. You're just, everything, there's no discipline anymore. It's just you're, you're just unbridled, and you're, you just don't care. And, oh, God will cover it. He's a God of grace. Yes, he is, but you know what? We ought not frustrate the grace of God. We ought not to trample it underfoot like so many do. Many churches do that. Oh, it's okay. God's a God of love. It's okay if you're a heterosexual male and female. You know, things happen, you know. I know you're not married yet, but it's all right. You know, God just loves you, man. Just stop being so uptight about it. And so what if you're a homosexual couple? Yeah, I know what it says in Leviticus 19, and I know what it says in Leviticus 20, but hey, in Romans 1, 2, and Genesis 19, but hey, just forget all that because God is a God. No, you have to stand by the word. We must stand by the word. It is there for our health, and when we do, we live long, and when you, when you rebel against God, it's only a matter of time. There's one thing that's true, is your sin will always find you out. It'll always find us out. And what did, what did Timothy, or what did Paul say to his young protege, Timothy? Timothy, for I am ready, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, as Paul is in Rome now, and he's writing his final letter. I'm already po- being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight, I've finished the race. And I have kept the faith, that was his testimony. See, that's what I want to do. I want to start well, I want to I continue well, and I want to finish well. And, but it's not going to come through osmosis. It's not going to come just 
the permutation of a membrane from an area of higher concentration to an area of lower concentration. I think that's the term of, I can't believe I remember that, from science many, many years ago. See, there is hope. Anyway, but he kept the faith and he finished the race. And Paul could say that with the Holy Spirit as his his guide. And I love that. But notice verse 2, back in our text now. And he, speaking of Jehoiahaz, king of Israel, he did evil in the sight of the Lord and followed the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. He did not depart from them. Notice who the Holy Spirit always points out as being the progenitor of this wickedness. It's always going back. The common refrain is Jeroboam. It started with him, with those two centers of worship, one in Dan and the other one in Bethel, those golden calves. Because Jeroboam had to keep the people, and he kept them through worship. Because when they would go to the feast, those three feasts every year, they'd have to go into, the, into Jerusalem. And he's like, I can't have that. If they go back to Jerusalem, they're going to like it there, and I'm going to lose all the people. i got to do something. i got to do something. i got an idea. I'll create two altars, one in Dan and one in Bethel, and everybody likes to worship gold. <laughs> and, and he does, and it's effective. He leads them into idolatry. And several times throughout First and Second Kings, you'll see that common refrain. He did the sins of Jeroboam. He didn't depart. And sin is something that is inherent in man, but these kings of Israel in the north continued to perpetuate that sin of Jeroboam. Their foundation, their beginnings was corrupt. The root of the tree was rotten. And Jesus said, you will know them by their fruit, didn't he? And at the heart of worship, true worship is sacrifice. But Jeroboam made it really convenient. No, you don't have to walk all the way to Jerusalem. If you live up in Dan, way up in the north, oh, you don't have to, that's a long ways. It's not good for you. I'll create a, and he creates these centers. He makes it convenient for them. And it's not even holy. It appeals to the flesh. And the flesh likes it. It's convenient. It appeals to my flesh. Wow. How much better could it be? We'll even give you a soft drink on the way in. And yes, you can bring it into the sanctuary. You can bring food and you got pizza, bring it in. Wings? Convenient worship. But worship was never meant to be convenient. That's why when we started worship tonight, I talked about the sacrifice of praise. Because it can be sometimes when you're not feeling it. The emotions will catch up if we will just start and get the cart moving. But what did, what did Paul, or the author of Hebrews say? Therefore, by him, Christ, let us continually go after the sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to him. King David knew what worship was about. These kings of the north, they, they made things convenient. They were following in the sins of Jeroboam, making it convenient. But David, he knew instinctively that for worship to be true, it must cost him something. Uh, turn with me to Second Samuel, if you would, chapter 24. I'm going to read it to you. Second Samuel 24, beginning in verse 18. And this is such a wonderful example, and it's just so the opposite of what worship is today many times in the church, not necessarily here, but in the church in the world, in America. 
David knew that it must cost him something. Sometimes it is a sacrifice of praise. Sometimes it's something else. There are many ways to worship. But notice, Gad came to, excuse me, <coughs> that day to David and he said to him, Go up and erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. And the reason he had to erect the altar is because David, remember, he took a census in his old age. And, and really, the motivation was to just to gratify himself. How big is my army? And God saw right through it. He's like, David, and, and God had, had him on a short leash. And he allowed this angel to begin destroying people in Jerusalem because of the sin of their king. And as, in, in order to get the plague to stop, God spoke to Gad, David's seer, or prophet, if you will. He, says, he told David, he said, David, go build an altar and offer an offering to stop this plague. And so David does that very thing. So in verse 19, so David, according to the word of Gad, he went up as the Lord commanded him. And now Aruna looked and he saw the king and his servants coming toward him. And this place that is being purchased is what you and I would call the temple mount today. Right where the temple used to sit was Aruna's threshing floor. This is the plot of land that David purchased from Aruna, although Aruna was willing to give it to David because he loved David. But notice what happens. So Aruna went out and he bowed before the king as he sees this entourage coming up to him up on top of the hill there. And Aruna said, why does my lord the king come to his servant? And David said, to buy the threshing floor from you, to build an altar to the Lord, that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. And Aruna said to David, well, let my lord the king take and offer whatever seems good to him. Look, here's a, our oxen for burnt sacrifice and the threshing in- instruments and the yokes of the oxen for wood. All these, O king, Aruna has given to the king. All of these I want to give to you, David. You don't have to pay me anything. I love you. I respect you. I'm just going to give it to you. It's a good thing that you're doing. I want to make sure it happens, and I'll I'll give it to you. And Aruna said to the king, May the Lord your God accept you. And notice what? This is a huge verse. Verse 24. Circle it. Underline it. The heart of worship. Here it is. (laughs) Then the king said to Aruna, No. But I will surely buy it from you for a full price. Nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with what that which costs me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David there built an altar and burnt offerings and peace offerings. And so the Lord heeded the prayers for the land and the plague was withdrawn from Israel. So he, he knew it was instinctively there had to be, it had to cost him something. And see, that is the heart of worship, is sacrifice. That's why it can be a sacrifice of praise. Because I don't feel like it. And honestly, I think of all the ways that we worship God, that's probably the easiest. Because there's something, in when I worship God, I, because I love music. And when I hear a great tune and a great melody and a nice turn in a chorus, it just lifts you right up, right? And all of a sudden, it starts making you feel good. But it's not about you. It's not about me. It's all about him. It's all he always has been. Now, that doesn't mean I don't, I don't get the fringe benefit of enjoying it. It should be. It should be joyful. And thank God he's given us music to do that. But Jeroboam and these kings of the north, they didn't understand that. It was all about convenience and all about the flesh. It was never about bringing glory and honor to God. And notice what it says there in verse 2 back in our text that 
that he did evil, Jehoiahaz, the king of Israel, did evil in the sight of the Lord, followed the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. He did not depart from them. Underline that word depart because that word in the Hebrew is sewer, and it basically means to turn away. What is he really saying here? This is what repentance is. Right? Repentance is turning away from sin, but notice Jehoiahaz did not repent. He did not depart from them. And then the anger, verse 3, the Lord was aroused against uh, Israel, and he delivered them into the hand of Hazael, uh, king of Syria, and into the hand of Ben-Hadad, who was his son after he had passed from the scene, all their days. So Hazael was a king of Syria. He reigned from 843, for those of you who, are, who like these kind of things, and I'm a nerd, so I do. He reigned from 843 to 796 B.C., and then when he passed from the scene, his son, Ben-Hadad, uh, probably three, the third, because I believe there was a second before this, his son reigned from 796 to 770 B.C., but notice the result of not repenting. Notice the result of the fruit of rebellion. God delivered them over to this pagan idolatrous king, And then finally, when he passes from the scene, Ben-Hadad takes over and is continually in their face and and, and, and a thorn in their their shoe, in a sense. And and this is a good proof text for Romans 6.23. You remember Romans 6.23? For the wages of sin, it's death. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. The fruit of rebellion is death. That's what we get when we sin. It's, it's something that we receive. We receive a wage for sin. And it's never good. We can never pay the bill. But notice, the gift of God. No, wait, a gift is something is given. And we're given something really wonderful. Yes, we're giving, we're being given eternal life in Jesus Christ. What would you rather have? The wages of sin that leads to death or the gift of God that leads to Eternal bliss with Christ. I think I'm going to choose the second. (laughs) Wouldn't you? Haven't we? I don't know. Have we? Everybody awake? Yeah? Yeah? Okay. The wages of sin is death, whether it's sudden or whether it takes time. Do you notice that? In Genesis, remember... The Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Literally, this means, in dying, you shall die. Had Adam and Eve never sinned, they would have lived forever. Do you understand? But because they sinned, God says, the rebellion, there's a wage for that. So you're going to receive something for that rebellion, for that sin that you accomplish. You're going to receive something. In dying, you will ultimately die. So you will die little by little. And every choice you make that's away from you, you're just going to die a little bit more. And, and aren't we seeing the result of it today? When we're born... As soon as we're born, we begin to die. Yes, we may grow, but eventually we, we get older and then we find a spot. And then they take the spot out. And then we go through chemo radiation. And then, they, and then we're finally, next thing you know, we're in hospice and we're having morphine, a morphine drip attached to us. And then we die. And then where do we go? Do we go to heaven? 
Notice he says, in dying, you shall die. Yes, in dying, you slowly die. And then when you finally physically die, then there's a judgment. And then you will be resurrected to either the resurrection of condemnation or the resurrection of, of the resurrection. The resurrection of, uh, of uh, I forget what it is. Uh, it's a good thing. I forget the name of it. I'm stumbling on the name. But it's in, it's in John chapter 5. But that's literally what it means. And he would not repent. He just continued in his dying, continued. And so Jehoiahaz, verse 4, pleaded with the Lord. Notice, this pagan king, and, and you know, if I were God and I knew the history and I knew where the history was going, I would have said to Jehoiahaz, you know what, I'm done with you guys. I know exactly who you are. I know the games you're playing. And I know who your ancestors, I know exactly what they're going to do before they even done it. And I'm just going to put an end to this right now. (laughs) See, that would be me. So I'm glad that I'm not God because uh, everybody would be dead and I'd be the only one alive. And then I'd, you know, probably jump off a cliff too. So, Um, but notice Jehoiahaz, this idolater, he pleads to God. He finally gets to the end of himself and he's like, oh man, what a mess. And he pleads to God. That word pleaded literally means with tears. There was an agony in this. And he was pleading to God. And notice the Lord listened. To him, what mercy and grace. God was faithful to his covenant that he made to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. Remember the Abrahamic covenant back in Genesis 15 where God says that through your seed, Abraham, I will bless all the the nations of the earth and your seed will inherit all of this land. And he defines that land, the parameters. And then he says, as the sand of the sea is, as the stars are in the heavens, so in the multitude of your seed it will be. And that was God's promise to them. Even the ten tribes up north in Israel. Even them, God would not rescind that promise to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and to the 12 tribes of Israel. And 10 of them are up north and they're not doing so good. God would not rescind that promise. We would expect him to hold it for Judah because God made to David. Remember, we looked at that, the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12 through 16. He made him that promise that David, out of your seed, there'd be one who would reign forever. It'd be an everlasting kingdom through the line of Judah. There would always be somebody and it will be an everlasting kingdom leading all the way to Christ, of course. And his kingdom will never end. But he said that to Abraham. And God was not going to renege on his promise to even this idolatrous ten tribes. Do you see the grace of God in the Old Testament? A lot of people think the God of the Old Testament is just this angry man with a gavel who's just old and wrinkling, just, oh, I just want to... You know, he just wants to smash people. He's like, you know, he's like the uh, Smash Brothers. You know, my daughter plays this video game. You know, just walking around smashing people, whack-a-mole. And God is not like that. So far from the truth is that. Anybody who has that view of God that he's just angry and just wants to punish and kill people has totally missed who God is. They haven't read the Bible. They don't know the character of God. So important for us to know the character of God. But Jehoiahaz pleaded with the Lord. The Lord listened to him, for he saw the oppression of Israel because the king of Assyria oppressed them. And I love what Psalm 103 says. It says, as a father pities his children, so the Lord, Jehovah, he pities those who fear him.
That's the end of our lesson for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Kings. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office you can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.